This is the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, session number 12. Welcome to the Cubicle Renegade Podcast, where unfulfilled desk jockeys become fearless entrepreneurs. Learn from corporate escapees and world changers who are successfully building businesses that matter. Here's your host, Caleb Wojcik. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Cubicle Renegade Podcast. In this session, I sit down and chat with Richard Femke, who is an independent filmmaker in New York City. In this session, we talk about his transition to working for himself, why it took him a while to actually be comfortable with calling himself an entrepreneur, and we make up a few inside jokes about breakfast cereal. Really, you're just going to have to listen to figure out what I'm talking about. This is a long chat, so let's just dive right in. Hey everyone, today we're joined by Richard Bemke, who is a writer, filmmaker, and all-around funny man in my opinion. So Richard, thanks for joining us today. God, starting off with no pressure already. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So before we dive into what you do now, uh, where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And what kind of things did you do as a kid? Sure. So I grew up in uh, in the suburbs of uh, Long Island, New York, which is about about 15 miles outside Manhattan. Uh, so even though I was pretty close to the city growing up, we didn't really go in for kicks very much. At least I didn't. Uh, we kind of had, you know, typical suburban, very safe experience. Uh, I always joke about, uh, I came across a button once when I was younger. It said, uh, suburbia is where they cut down the streets and name, or cut down the trees and name streets after them. And I lived on Redwood <laughs> Road. So it was, uh, it was pretty apt. Um, but I grew up uh, in kind of very, kind of beautiful, wonderful suburban neighborhood, you know, two loving parents, older sister, three years older than myself. I uh, went to public school. Uh, which I could walk to for both elementary and high school. And um, I did sports a lot when I was younger. I did basketball and baseball. And then kind of as I got older, the uh, it was a combination of realization that there were other things to do that other people kind of picked me for and also realizing I probably wasn't going to be a professional athlete. Not definitely, but probably. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the, the confluence of those two things. Uh, just led me to explore other things. And I've always been interested in a lot of different things. And I was just really, really lucky to have a lot of wonderful mentors younger uh, when I was younger who said, hey, you might be good at X, you might be good at Y. Um, and essentially pushed me in and said like, oh, you're going to be in this you know, speech competition. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. What's a speech competition? Um, and like figuring it out afterwards. Um, but uh, yeah, so I played basketball and baseball up until uh, I was in 11th grade, and then that was kind of the point in time where it was like, you know, it was a lot of practice, it was a really intense schedule, and I would also become really involved in a service organization called Key Club, um, and I had kind of moved up the ranks and become a part of the international board, and uh, was traveling around the country, and, and it was it was the coolest thing that I had ever done. I was mm-hmm. campaigning, I was giving speeches, I was working on like policy for the organization, all at, you know, 16 and 17 years old really opened my eyes to uh, travel. I'd always loved travel as a kid. Uh, My family had taken a lot of vacations, but that was kind of like, wow, there's some really amazing people out there, some really cool opportunities available. And thusly, one of the things that I became aware of was a scholarship to Arizona State uh, that was specifically for people who were in Key Club. And uh, I applied for it and, uh, you know, went through a series of interviews and was lucky enough to get that scholarship. And so it was like free school. That's where I'm going. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I don't need to bring pants cause it's, you know, 115 degrees. Right. So, um, and so I was, it was pretty much, that's, 
you know, I, I knew I wanted to go there and I got it. And it was, you know, one of the happiest days of, of kind of my high school career. And then uh, made my way uh, out to Arizona State with the, you know, goal of becoming a business major because I was going to be a businessman. I had no idea what that meant, but I was like, oh, <laughs> business. I was going to the same <laughs> so, way. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll study business. And I wasn't until I was about, you know, two years, I was about a year and a half into my business degree. And I was like, uh, not, um, I guess you would say passing. And, uh, you know, it was, I was taking accounting and econ and, you know, microeconomics and all these courses that I, I did not enjoy. And I distinctly remember sitting in my accounting class and I had a similar experience at work years later, but sitting in my accounting class, taking a test and I was looking down and taking the test and I just kind of looked up and looked around the room and I was like, what are we all doing here? Like, what is, what is happening? Like, what is this? Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to be here. Like I, I have no, I don't want to learn this stuff. I'm not interested. I'm not good at it. Um, and so it became this kind of stressful, frustrating period of trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do uh, with my major. And then I had a really great mentor again who said, why don't you try communication? And I said, I don't know. And uh, I looked into it and, and made the shift and it made my college career a lot better um, and a lot more freeing. And, and I felt like it was a much better fit. So did you um, completely change majors at that point? Completely changed majors, which was a little bit scary. I remember mm -hmm. calling my my dad from the Memorial Union building uh, on campus and being nervous to tell him that I was going to change majors. And he was just kind of like, well, is this going to make you happy? And I was like, yeah. I was like, go for it. Like, we support that. And that was kind of a, a big relief because my parents had always been really supportive. And um, so I switched majors and I went from taking like microeconomics and, you know, accounting courses to taking interpersonal and, you know, public speaking and, um, you know, gender communications, things like that, that I really enjoyed and really, I felt just was more interest to me because I kind of got to that point. And I said, you know what, I can figure out what I can do with my life with whatever major I have. But if I don't enjoy these at least two years that I have left, this is just, you know, it's all going to be a waste. And it's um, interesting that you went back towards things that you were doing in high school, like, like speech giving and stuff like that. Like, that you were interested in doing and that you did in high school. But when you went to college, you're like, oh, I can't do that for a living or I can't like, how is that going to relate to me getting a job? Right. It's just so much easier in hindsight. Like you look back, it's like, <laughs> well, that was such an obvious fit. Why didn't I do that? Um, and it's just this kind of paradigm I had going to college. Like I, I, I just, I want to be a businessman and I wanted to be, if you had asked me when I was 17, what I was going to be when I grew up, I would have probably said like corporate, like, corporate trainer, public speaker. And I really didn't know what that meant, but I, it felt and sounded right. Uh, ironically, I end up, or, or aptly, about 10 years after that, I ended up a corporate trainer for an organization. Uh, and it was just kind of a funny full circle chain of events. Mm -hmm. but, um, but yeah, there's been a couple of moments in my life like that where I've been butting my head up against the wall and then kind of turned to my right and said, oh, there's no wall over here. Like I can go this way and right. it, won't hurt. it won't be painful. Um, but it's, it's been some hard lessons on that for it's, you know, for as, as uh, self-aware as I, I pretend to be, there's always a, a tremendous lack of self-awareness when it comes to those inflection points in my life. And so what job did you first get out of college after having that communications major and what kind of happened to your career over the next few years? 
so I left college and I said I was going to, I either wanted to go to San Francisco, Chicago, or New York. And I got flown out for one interview, which is essentially was my goal to get flown to one interview. So I could be like, oh, I'm going flown to an interview this weekend. Um, <laughs> and it was for, it was for a job at Mervyn's in, uh, in California. I think it was like in Hayward, California or something like that. And, um, I mean, I'm guessing I didn't get the job because they still haven't called me, actually. I still <laughs> never heard from them, but it's been about 10 years. It's been about 12 years now. So, you know, I don't I don't, I, I don't think I got that job. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I, you know, I, I had no job. So, I, you know, I moved back home to New York. My parents were, you know, welcoming me with open arms. And I had been bartending my last year of college. And I went back to bartending uh, about four or five days a week while I was pounding the pavement looking for jobs. And it took me about um, about two months. Well, I had, I went in for about a month to Australia and New Zealand after college. That was my kind of college graduation present. And mm-hmm. Went ran away for a little while and caught my breath. Then came home and, and started looking and, and bartending and looking. And the first job I took was I was the sales assistant for a recorded broadcast media company, uh, which sounds about as exciting as it, as it was. <laughs> uh, I The company basically recorded... Uh, broadcast media and then would try and sell it to the people who appeared in it. And uh, my job was like going through, I don't even know what my job was, but I did it for about five weeks before I was like, I don't want to do this Mm -hmm. and started looking for another job. Um, And actually ended up in the industry that I wanted to be in, which was magazines, because I really loved uh, men's magazines. And I loved the idea of being kind of a Renaissance man. And I thought, oh, if I could get a job at like GQ or Esquire or something like that, it would be all these like Hemingway types walking around talking about art and culture and society and, you know, women and all these, all the sections of the magazine. I thought those were like the parts mm-hmm. of the day that you would have and uh, ended up at a magazine. And it just, it wasn't that it was, I was behind a desk and I was, I was doing licensing, which was a fine job, but it wasn't something that was really exciting for me. And, um, you know, after about a year, I, I started to kind of get itchy feet and started looking for something. And, and I thought, again, my, my, <laughs> I actually, I ended up becoming a writer, but I didn't think while I was at the magazine, that's something that I wanted to do. So I moved, uh, I was like, oh, I need to do something altruistic. And so I moved into, I uh, found a job at a nonprofit and, uh, and shifted to there. Um, and that turned out to not be the answer that mm-hmm. <laughs> I was looking for either. Um, and, uh, and so did that for two years, was not happy there, realized that even though it was altruistic in some regards, it still wasn't making me happy. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was really when I started to find my own voice in terms of the things I like to do because I was so desperate and I was so unhappy there that I just started trying everything. I mean, from the <laughs> from the time from like my, my last four months at the magazine until the time I left the nonprofit, I had entered. I had taken two improv classes. I had entered a modeling contest. Um, I had taken a screenwriting course. I had taken comedy writing courses, uh, you know, personal essay writing courses. And then I had just started doing things on my own. I acted in a play that a friend had put on. I wrote mm-hmm. a play uh, and produced it myself because I wanted to. And I had, I was like, I needed something to feed my soul. And so that just became this period of intense kind of life experimentation uh, in finding out something needs to make me feel good. Um, you know, and none of the things corporately were doing that. And so that was like the first entree into that kind of experience. Mm. And how long would you say that soul searching took? And at the end of it, did you like know exactly what you want to do or at least like the next step to take to get closer towards something? 
I don't know if we're done yet. Uh, I think uh, <laughs> we could just be getting into the thick of it right now. Right. I think this is uh, stage two. Um, you know, the thing that I realized from all of that is that one, I wanted to be in a faster paced environment uh, that things were moving because the nonprofit, it was just very slow and things took forever to, to happen. Mm. And so that was like, I, I needed, I needed things to move faster uh, because I have, not a short attention span. Well, I mean, I do have a short attention span, but I have kind of a capacity to move quick and I wanted to be a part of that. Um, and the glacial pace wasn't doing it for me. Mm-hmm. And then through these other things that I had started doing, I had started entering like video contests uh, for, you know, really cool jobs, essentially, that they were doing video contests and asking people, hey, submit a video and maybe we'll pick you for this amazing job to work on a winery or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that kind of just... It, it was like I was looking forward all the time and t- again to the left were all these really interesting fun things like Twitter and YouTube and and you know understanding of Facebook and and what that was all about and I had never really looked in that direction and I just started to kind of look that way and, and move in that direction so that became it didn't it didn't solidify what I wanted to do but I, it did solidify kind of the direction that I was going to move in. And that was the first time I really felt that I started to make traction towards something awesome. And so I started looking for uh, social media jobs, jobs in social media, um, because that was, you know, young and sexy and fun. And there was all of a sudden all this stuff going on in New York. Um, and so I started looking for social media jobs and, uh, still at the same time doing all this creation on my own. So I'm partially believing, well, I've started a blog, that's gonna make me famous. I've you know, started doing these videos, that's gonna make me famous. I've started you know, writing plays, that's gonna make me famous. And that wasn't happening, but at least I was doing and I was creating. And I think that was the probably the cornerstone of that time of my life is realizing that I feel really good when I'm making something. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what that was gonna be, but I knew that there was nothing that felt as good to me as, um, as you know, kind of creating something. I mean, the the reason that I had, I actually wrote that first play is I was I was in my friend's play and it was a two night thing and I was playing the part of six year old or something like that. It was it was really a Tony Award winning performance. <laughs> um, the guy next to me, there was a guy in the play with me who was playing an eight year old and he had a beard and I like we couldn't figure out why that guy would shave his beard for the play. I don't know. It was a very strange, surreal <laughs> experience. But I remember sitting backstage and thinking to myself, well, I can write a play that nobody comes to see. Like I can do this. So I just started writing it with no idea how hard it was going to be. And that becomes a hallmark of everything I've done since is, no, I can do this, not realizing how challenging it is. And we wrote, I wrote it. And then a friend and I basically put it on together. I fronted the money, rented the theater, sold the tickets. And, you know, I wrote the first line of that play in like July of that year. And the play went up in October. We actually put on two short plays that I wrote. And I remember standing in the back of the room the night that the plays went up and looking at the audience react to the things that the actors were saying, the lines that I had written come out of their mouth and, and react to that. And it was just this strange feeling of like a power. It was definitely omnipotence, but also mm-hmm. um, just this is something I've never felt anything like this before. And I wanted to feel closer to that. I didn't know how I was going to get there, but um, it was, it was a feeling of that I had some control over that. And so 
uh, that was kind of cornerstone. Of I like making. All right. Well, social media is making, it's creating. And so eventually I found a job after about a year or more of searching um, at a social media company, which then kind of became the maybe the period of fastest learning uh, of over the next two years than I've had in you know the last 10 probably. So would you say that writing that play and um, creating it was one of your first like entrepreneurial ventures or did you have influences when you were growing up like your parents or friends parents or something that were entrepreneurs that you know encouraged you to not just you know work at a nine to five? That's a really good question. I don't I never and this is just something I've recently just started calling myself an entrepreneur. And I'm, when I say recently, I mean like two weeks ago, because it's never something that I, I've always seen things like this as kind of siloed, like, oh, an entrepreneur is that person and a, a writer is that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was about two years after I started writing before I started even calling myself a writer, because it felt like, I distinctly remember, I was in South America, I was on the roof of a hostel in, uh, where was I? I was in Buenos Aires. And I remember kind of talking to people and like, what do you do? And I was like, all right, I'm going to try this out. I'm a writer. And they're like, oh, nice. What do you write? And I just, I don't know what I said after that, but it was like, it was like putting on a mantle and saying like, all right, this is who I am. They don't know different, right? Mm -hmm. Let me see how this feels to say it. Um, But, you know, my parents, my mom had actually owned her own business for about 10 years. Uh, My dad had worked for a large company for, uh, for a long time. And it was never something that it was never something I, I think I intentionally set out to do to become an entrepreneur. But I think what happened was it was a result of me not being satisfied with the opportunities presented to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that they weren't great opportunities, but they just weren't things that fit or felt right. And so I couldn't find what I wanted. And so, you know, I made something else. Like there have been times in my life where that didn't go so well. Like I wanted a really cool belt like everybody else had in eighth grade at these like cool skater stores. Mm -hmm. So I made myself a combination lock belt, not thinking at all how difficult it would be to unlock a combination lock belt (laughs) upside down. (laughs) And so that was something that turned out horribly. It was 25 minutes of pure stress and sweat and awfulness. (laughs) But, you know, I can kind of carry that same thread through my life of being like, I'm unsatisfied with the opportunities that I see in front of me. Paired with, I just wanted to do something different, right? I wanted to do something that, you know, other people were not doing. And, you know, it just... That I guess that those things kind of became the entrepreneurial sense. Where my parents do come into play is that they always supported me in everything that I did. They always believed in my talents and my abilities. Even if I couldn't name them, they were always really supportive of them. And they never said no, they just said how. And that mm-hmm. was such an important element for me because when I was struggling freshman year in college and I was like, I want to transfer schools. And my, my, well, I think I said specifically, I want to do a semester at sea, which not paying any attention to the fact that I get horribly seasick and that would have been a miserable <laughs> idea. But my dad's like, all right, well, how are you going to pay for this? And then we kind of figured out that I should stay at school and, uh, and stay in Arizona and figure it out. Um, but that's been a hallmark of it. And even when I told my parents last year that I was leaving my, you know, white collar, good job. Um, they, I said, here's what, you know, I, I want to do. And I remember the conversation distinctly with my dad. It was, uh, it was a great conversation. He's like, all right, well, how are you going to do it? And and what's the plan? And I laid it out for him. And he was like, all right, sounds good. I think it's a good decision. I think you can go forward. And um, 
So I told him first, and then I told, I let him talk to my mom, I think a little bit, and then I talked to my mom. Mm -hmm. But in all that, it was, uh, they supported me. And so, yeah, I mean, do I consider myself an entrepreneur now? I guess. I think I've called myself more of a maker, somebody who just wanted to make something. Um, and you can trace that back to childhood. I'm bringing up a lot of childhood memories here. I should feel like I should be lying on a couch for this one. Um, <laughs> I remember being in a field. Uh, no, I remember um, I just my favorite thing to do with a kid, uh, with not with a kid. This is going horribly wrong. My favorite <laughs> thing to do as a child was to play with Legos. And I didn't realize the specific element I loved about it, but it was making something, right? And that is a thread that I've found throughout my life of creating something, of having uh, a, a piece of content, video, art, whatever it is that exists that I have created that I can go back and look at. And that is something that has been really significant for me. I have no idea what the question was, but I hope that answers it. Yeah, it totally did. And yeah, I think totally that <laughs> when you're making things, like it's a tangible result compared to maybe in school or, you know, some of the jobs that I've had where you can go a day, a week, a month and be like, what did I do besides work for X number of hours? Like you don't have something tangible. That's why as a kid, I always loved yard work because I'm strange. And because when you mow the lawn, you're like, I did that. Like I can point to this thing and be like, that was totally me. It's done. Or if you chop wood Absolutely. or if you shovel the driveway, I used to live in Michigan. So that's what I did all winter, but like it's a tangible thing and you would get to college and maybe you'd get some grades or you would complete some projects that would maybe have something tangible, but sometimes they wouldn't. And it's like, what am I accomplishing? What am I creating or adding to the world? And I mean, it could be Legos or it could be a film or what have you, but if you can get really good at making things, then as an entrepreneur, people are going to value that and you're going to be able to to grow your business or grow whatever it is you want to do. And so you said you had a plan that you told your parents about to be self-employed. Did you stick to that plan? What was that plan? Are you still on it? Um, well, first I agree with you on the, the, uh, the, <clears throat> the element of, of appreciating kind of manual labor. And I think my parents instilled that in me. Um, I don't know if they were trying to instill it in me or they just needed the leaves raked, but either way <laughs> it worked. Um, but I can definitely appreciate that. And, and, and I think it's something that's there. There's just such a tangible nature of it. And there, I, I, my life is very tactile. When I walk through a clothing store, I'm always touching all the fabrics. I always like kind of things that make me feel and things that resonate. Um, and even something like shoveling snow or, or raking leaves or mowing lawn, I, I definitely get that. I see that. Um, the plan I told my parents was, hey, I have, you know, essentially this much savings, you know, and, you know, which would carry me this many months. Mm -hmm. And then if I get to the end of that time or I get close to the end and I'm not, you know, doing it, I'll go back and I'll find an office job. But I need to try this now because it was just a sense of if not, it, it was it was a confluence of three things. Um, and I've just started using that word confluence. So that might not be the right word, but we're going to go with it today. Um, <laughs> the first being one that I had the idea. I had never thought I'd never had the idea of how I could monetize my skill set. And finally, I was like, oh, you know what? This is how I'm going to monetize my skill set. This is what I'm going to do. Now, regardless of whether or not that is right or turned out to be right, it got me moving in a direction, right? And it was another like head shift of like, here's how I'm going to go. So that happened. And that actually happened after last year. It was just the sense of I had two friends of mine who uh, passed away from similar experiences, both in their 30s, um, similarly experienced uncontrollable. One died of a heart attack and one was hit by a car in the middle of the street. And it was kind of like, 
this like you really have no control right and it, it's a shame that it takes those kind of elements to to raise that awareness but it mm -hmm. was they kind of it really was weird because those are there are people who had um i had worked with and spent a lot of time with and, and suddenly they just you know i didn't see them anymore but the, the idea that i couldn't go back and see them was a was a weird was a weird feeling um and so i was like god I'm, if i got hit by a bus tomorrow like what would I feel good about my life? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't, I would be, I'd have a lot of things to be proud of, but I, I don't feel like I would have, um, you know, lived up to the potential or, or really took the time, taken the time to figure out my skill sets. Um, so it was those two things. And then the third thing uh, was just, you know, I, I had the opportunity, the time was right. And so I basically said, Hey, if these things don't work out, I will, you know, I'll give it a shot, but I was like, I don't want to be going on for the rest of my life feeling like, oh, I had an idea, but I never went with it because I don't do well in an office in general. And I, I really struggle to kind of maintain focus and, and stay motivated for the things that I'm doing. I love the people I worked with. I love the company I worked for, but the company was evolving and changing and the people I, were, I was working with were starting to leave. And even though I was in a great position and I was, uh, dare I say, loved at the company, <clears throat> it was still... I, I I'd felt, I think I felt the highest peak of that corporate experience. And I distinctly remember that peak and saying, all right, even if this is high as it's, it's getting, then like, then it's time to start thinking about something else. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and there was all these other things I wanted to do and I just didn't see them. You know, when you're younger, you think, oh, maybe it will happen. But the older you get, you realize that things don't happen. You happen, right? Like you mm -hmm. happen to things. And, and I've started to realize that. And so I said, all right, here's the plan. Um, you know, I'm going to work as hard as I can on it, give it all, give it my all. And, and then when we get to the end, if it, if it, if I'm running out of money, then I'll go back and find a job. And um, I've stuck well to it. I mean, things have changed a lot significantly. Mm -hmm. The business plan essentially changed the, the core value proposition, the minimum viable product, whatever slang book you're reading right now, mm -hmm. that, basic thing which I was supposed to do has shifted and for the better and um and it's been I was thinking about this just yesterday and today that this entrepreneurial and I'm making air quotes journey has been really more of one which I did not anticipate of personal growth I think than it has actually of business acumen and I, not that I haven't learned business items or, or, or business bits business bits that'll be the name of my business that's book. the name of your book business. yeah <laughs> it sounds like a breakfast cereal for CEOs, <laughs> business bits. <laughs> um, it's uh, marshmallows and depression. Um, no, it's, uh, the, the, it's not that I haven't learned things about business and growing a business, but it's also the things that I truly value in what I want to do and who I want to be uh, that have kind of come to the surface. And so I think the core reason why I left the job is the thing that I've explored more than anything. And, and it's who I want to be as a person. And I didn't feel like that person in an office. I feel like more of myself now than I've ever been. But I also feel like I am just beginning on this huge journey of, of kind of self-discovery. And, uh, and for better or for worse, it's, it's led me to where I am. And, and my parents are more supportive, I think, than ever before. Um, you know, my, I joke that my mom sends me like at least one article about Etsy or Pinterest every week uh, as kind of business advice. She sent me a, a, a webinar today, uh, which is amazing, right? I mean, I don't know of anybody who has left their corporate job when they were doing really well 
and have their parents say, yeah, go for it. And then start sending them like business tips to do it. I'm, I'm incredibly lucky and incredibly fortunate in that regard. And, and it's just, in some ways it surprises me. And in some ways I'm not surprised at all. Cause my parents are just, uh, my, the, the people that I have been lucky enough to stumble into being around or having around me are, are really tremendous. And that has been a huge element of, of me being able to even stick with this, this, this plan. So do you want to talk briefly about what some of those projects you're working on are and why they are, you know, enabling you to have that personal growth that's completely different than what you were doing before? Sure, absolutely. I mean, the goal of leaving the office was, you know, I I have an artistic personality. I love to write. I love to direct. I wanted to get back, not get back, you know, all all the plays that I've done, um, everything that I had done had been done on the side of a full-time job. And I said, well, I didn't want to do that on the side. I wanted to make that the full-time element. And so I didn't want to go around pitching myself. I hate doing that. So I said, I'm going to find a way to self-fund. And so I left the job and, and started a, a business that was essentially the core value, the core part of it was, you know, teaching people how to make videos for their business, uh, which has evolved into basically producing videos for brands. So writing, directing, editing, shooting, mm-hmm. um, because this allows me now to use that creative skill set, it allows me to tell stories, which I love to do. And it's, I see it as kind of the first step in the way of, of moving to, as I've described before, you know, having my own production company one day where I can write the stories, shoot stories, produce them and, and get them out there and having that kind of autonomy based on whomever you want to, you know, say has that autonomy, whether it's Woody Allen or JJ Abrams or something like that, but being able to, to creatively tell stories in that regard. And so leaving the business, or leaving my job uh, to do that has allowed me to get closer. I've always wanted to get, I say always, like I've had this profound thought. I've Over the last 10 years, I've talked about wanting to get my personal life and my professional life to be as close to each other as possible so that I don't feel like I'm somebody from nine to five and somebody else from six to 10. Um, and then from 10 to 8, I'm a werewolf, apparently, or something. That, those hours just go unaccounted for. You're like Michael J. Fox in Teen Wolf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, true blood. I don't know. That's not. Those are werewolves. I don't watch enough television. That, nobody <laughs> has ever said that. Um, but it was. I wanted to get those things as close together so that my life was my art, my art was my life, and everything that I was doing was something I wanted to be doing. And um, and it's it's been really unique because it's it's been – I haven't been creating more art than I have uh, in the past because I've been spending a lot of time growing this business and it's something I care about and not going broke is really important to me. Um, and, and, you know, getting all this stuff in, in a row and making sure I have a thriving business has been important. Um, but it's also kind of allowed me to see the things that I really, really value. You know, once you once your paradigm shifts or whatever, again, slang you want to use for it, once you start saying, um, you know, this is the kind of thing I want to be doing. You start to think about it a lot more. And I've really th- felt this pull recently to doing more writing and more creating and more uh, production of, of stories. Um, and so, you know, having this business that, that produces videos, it, it's just, it's made me feel more ingrained in that. Um, you know, the other things that I haven't written a play in, in over a year, the last play that we, I put on was in, in December of 2011. Um, but we're about to finish up uh, the last episode of a scripted web series, which has taken about almost two and a half years from idea to completion because it's eight episodes of, of scripted episodes and they're about 
15 to 20 minutes each. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's been just <clears throat> probably the most significant undertaking. I've never done anything that's taken that long. I mean, that's half of my college career essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then I was taking different courses and it's, it's long. It's, a, it's about the same as amount of time as I spent doing a communication major because I only did that for half of my college career. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to finish that is going to be really exciting and, and being able to move on to next steps and, and continuing to build and create um, is, is really exciting for me. Um, and I strayed from the question. I strayed from the original question. I'm really good at adhering to the question. <laughs> well, I wanted to go back and touch on something you mentioned there, which was um, bringing your work and your life closer together. Because I think as yeah. we're brought up, like you're taught to separate it. And so mm-hmm. like, I think that can definitely work for some people. But for me personally, it never really worked. Like I would, I would literally flip a switch when I came home from work and I'd be like a different person in a way. Um, not like a better or worse person, just like different. Like I would view things differently. I would talk a different way, um, those types of things. And I would never think about work before when I was home or over the weekend or on vacation. Now it's completely different because I think it's so aligned and the people that I'm friends with, I'm also like work friends with because they're doing similar things online or with their businesses or as entrepreneurs. And I personally think that the closer those two things are, the better you can be mentally. I completely agree. And I think it's, there almost should be like a third noun in there somewhere, like work and life and, and whatever it is. Uh, but it, it's just, there are some people who are really comfortable with that and some people who need that. But I was, I was always the guy in the office who they, you know, were telling to like, I, I was always the guy in the office that people said, well, what are you doing in an office? I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know if I could get somewhere else. Mm-hmm. I would be there. I just didn't know, um, you know, what it, what that would entail or how to do that. And I just, it just felt so, I, you know, I had this weird experience where I, towards the end of my last job, I got into a conflict with somebody and it was this weird moment where we're both like, I'm not behaving the way I want. You're not behaving the way you want. And it's just being in this office and the stress that we don't even want. It's not even a stress that we're looking for. You know, there's a difference between the stress of when I'm putting together a video project or a play or something like that, because that's something I want, right? Because it's something I want to do. So even when I'm stressed out and I want to complain about it, I have to say to myself, you asked for it, right? And Mm -hmm. this is something that you wanted because the growth that's going to come after it is something that you've worked for and you've earned. But the stress of, of an office was not imposed by myself. It was not about something I wanted necessarily. And the end results didn't really change my life at all. Um, you know, I had, I had had a really fortunate experience that I worked really hard the first year I was at my last company and, and for about a year and a half before I got uh, my kind of my first promotion and a, and a nice uh, salary raise. And then I got to the beginning of the next year and I was like, oh my God, do I have to work that hard again just to get another promotion and another mm-hmm. salary raise just for the opportunity of one? Because it's not like it's going to happen twice, right? It's If it's going to happen, it's going to happen once at the end of the year. And I just didn't like that idea. And I didn't like the idea of feeling like I wasn't in control of my destiny. And I, I understand, you know, the matrix, whatever you want to call it, like whether or not you have control or not, mm-hmm. I'm okay with, with either argument. But either way, I want to be behind the wheel of the ship and not sitting in cargo, right? So I want right. to at least feel like I can steer the ship into the wind one way or the other. And that was really, really important to me. And when you have a separate work from separate or a life that is separate from your work, 
some people like that and some people value that. And to say that everybody should have a, a work life that is the same and, or to say everybody should have it that's different wouldn't make sense. Like there are, are different strokes for different folks and realizing that I was allowed to be different. Not I always kind of knew that I was different in that regard, but realizing that I could self-select and tell myself this is okay to go forward and do this, that was a big shift for me. And that was something that kind of opened my eyes to kind of another world around that. Well, I think and it's definitely scarier to go that route. It's it's less safer. It's more unknown. There's not like a written plan. There's not regular paychecks. You know, all the all the things that people think of as safe or as necessary typically aren't there when you take a leap like that. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's, you know, that I I kind of realized that I'm a little bit okay with that because I one of the things that I was always I was always dreading, you know, going to work or, or dreading Monday mornings because I kind of knew what the day would entail. And even though I have, I might have six or seven meetings on a day now, I still have no idea what that day is going to be. There's just so many more, like my life is so much more filled. I was obviously not a grammar major. But my life is, <laughs> is I just, I'll do it in a British accent. My life is chock-a-block with, uh, with just incredible possibility like everything i'm doing is is full of possibility not saying that like oh i'm i'm so talented or i, I can do anything i want but i'm just exposing myself to all of these per, these all these possibilities that i have no idea how they could turn out i have no idea how any meeting will go i have no idea where you know the connection that's going to move the business the next step forward and that's really yes it's stressful and yes it can be terrifying but the excitement is is what allows me to go forward and 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 have that unknown because the known wasn't doing it for me and so mm -hmm. the unknown is so much more i mean i guess that's why their pirates you know got into what they were doing because like who knows what's going to happen out there granted they also killed people and had hooks for hands but mm -hmm. it's not exact i'm not advertising a you know a pirate piracy, mentality yeah. business <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, not, I'm certainly not advertising or or suggesting piracy uh that would be a business book that just just i don't think it would fly uh, at this point in time, but it's just that the element of there is no limit. Even if I, even if I'm at stasis right now, even if I'm not making, you know, the money I want to make or doing the things I want to do, the, the chart of possibility is still infinite, right? It's not fixed. And I really, really value that. Uh, and it's carried over to the rest of my life as well. And so you've done a lot of writing and video production over the past few years. Like what makes different mediums different like audio written or video I, I kind of view it as those three are kind of the ways that you can create things i mean there's obviously live performance and stuff like that but on the web there's basically those three ways you can create things what what differentiates them for you and kind of what things are best told through those different types of mediums yeah it, it's really interesting because you can't like every medium is incredibly different in and of itself and everything requires a certain skill set, but every medium also requires the interplay of your audience's senses. So if you're a writer, you are resigning yourself a certain amount of control. You can work as hard as you want on the words, but your audience is going to envision what it sounds like, what it smells like, everything. They're, they're taking those words and they're drawing the picture. So being a good writer 
can mean a couple of things. Can mean that your words resonate with somebody, or that you portray the exact image that you want. Whereas, you know, if you're doing podcasting, if you're doing something that's just audio, you have more ability to influence how your audience feels, right? You have more control over, let's say, you know, more strings if they were kind of a puppet. You have more ability to kind of control how they feel. Um, but again, it's more of you that you're putting into it. And then when you when you do something like video, you've got the words that are either written or not written. You've got the sounds that are that are happening that are going to make people feel a certain way, and then the images. So now all three of those things, not only do they need to work on their own, but they need to work together. And I mm-hmm. think that's what, what people miss a lot of times is they think, oh, I've got a great song. Oh, I've got a great script. Oh, and I want to shoot it here. But if you're – if those three elements, if you're like, oh, I'm going to play this Megadeth song – for you know uh, this image of puppies playing in a you know a warehouse like no, those three things aren't going to necessarily maybe those do work I don't know that might be something that is that's you know, your next the project. next you know <laughs> I think that's my next project that would be, if that was a channel I would probably watch it just puppies <laughs> playing to Megadeth in a warehouse um, but like it, it's the, my point being is that you have to be aware of how those play into each other there are a lot of um, a lot of moving pieces and I think that's what what people don't always pay attention to and I think that's what distracts me when I watch a video if there's a song that that doesn't seem to work with it or or a setting or something that if there's one piece um there's a great quote somebody said if you have a great if you have a great web series with crappy audio you don't have a great web series right um it's the weak your your project is only as strong as the weakest link in the chain so you know, if you're writing a story and you, let's say your character says something that's completely ridiculous and out of, out of character for that particular uh, individual, it can take the reader out of the story, right? Whereas if you are doing a podcast and you are talking about something and all of a sudden you portray a knowledge that you don't have, or it seems like you're lying, or it seems like you're not being authentic with your audience, people like, ah, oh, you know, I'll turn this off. You know, I've listened to podcasts before where they were kind of supposed, su- supposed, supposed experts. And I heard them kind of fumble and, and stumble. And I, I was like, this is not, I'm listening to you because I'm trying to learn from you. But if you are not the expert, then I'm out and I haven't listened mm-hmm. to it since. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing goes for video too, that if you're watching something and it's why it's so hard to make good movies or even good short films and, and people launch into saying, Oh, I want to, you know, make a movie, but they haven't made something shorter yet. And that's why so many filmmakers start out making short films because just getting your audience to feel one particular way for five minutes or 10 minutes is really, really hard. Never mind mm-hmm. all the work that goes into it. Um, it's, it's all really different and it's different skill sets that, that, that it's required of you at different times. And you know, the, the larger the project, the more senses that are involved, the more you have to have an attention span that can go to all of those things. And that's why I think great directors are so impressive in what they do because they can, because they have to manage every step of the process. And, and that's something that's, it's really, really amazing. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people get really intimidated by video and they probably should be. I mean, you, you have such high expectations when you click on a video to watch it because you've watched so much TV and Hollywood movies and all this stuff that are 
hundreds of millions of dollars put into this creation of this thing. There's thousands of people in the credits of these movies. And then you go and you watch someone's web series that they are trying to shoot by themselves. And they're trying to be every single person in those credits. And it's, it's intimidating to even like get started with that kind of stuff. But, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't. And it doesn't mean that just because you write, that's the only thing you should do. Yeah. I think that's a really good point too, because I think, listen, if you waited until you were good at something to start it, nobody would ever do anything, right? Like nobody just starts hitting three pointers from birth. Like it's not something that just starts happening. And so, you know, there's, there's so much great commentary about when you should start making art and, and the approach to it. There's a great, you know, bit from Ira Glass who talks about, you know, when you first start out, your taste is better than your ability. Right. And mm -hmm. then eventually as you get better, your ability matches up to your taste. So you say, oh, I'm not making crap anymore. I'm making something that's average or something that's good. And I can appreciate that because I've made a, a ton of crap and I continue to make crap all the time because you have to make a certain amount of crap to be able to kind of even just get to the bottom of where the good stuff is. I think people look at abilities and skills as kind of this well with this fixed amount of water at the bottom. But really what the way I see it is that the, all the good water is at the bottom. And when you start going to that well and getting that stuff off the surface, then it kind of refills itself with all that, that wonderful stuff. And so getting in there and saying, yeah, you might not be good at shooting, editing, writing, or whatever it might be, and you're going to do it all, but you're going to learn a ton, right? By being able to say, I can do this. I have the ability to do it. And so I have the ability to figure out how to do it and how to get better at it. I think what people don't realize is how much work is involved to, to actually get better at something. And, and, you know, a lot of people quit after the first Try time they they do something like I was <laughs> I was trying to make a song in Garage Band with like Apple Loops a couple of months ago because I didn't want to do something important and so I was like oh I'm gonna make something in Apple Loops mm -hmm. and I made like a song and again we'll put that in air quotes because <laughs> I don't know if any I don't know if Rolling Stone would call it a song um, I don't know if the Wiggles would call it a song but <laughs> basically you know it took me about 20 minutes of playing maybe longer half hour. And I put this thing together and it wasn't, you know, it was supremely average and it wasn't anything I'd written, but I was like, wow, this is really hard. I don't want to make music. Like, this is not something I want to do. I learn, like, I have no desire to get better at it. I have no desire to kind of improve my skill set. That's something that other people are fine doing. But when I made my first video and I put it up and I, even though it was, you know, probably average at best, it still felt like, it still felt exciting. And this is something I think about all the time. The things that I didn't want to do, when I started out at the bottom, it always felt exhausting. But the things that I really wanted to do, when I started out at the bottom, it never felt like the bottom. I always felt mm -hmm. like I was at the top. And then later on, I was, oh, I'm, I'm one step higher. I'm one step higher. And so that's been a difference that I've been able to kind of glean for myself of, you know what? I want to make crap because I want to get better at it and I want to be able to improve because there's so much there that I believe I have a story to tell. I believe I have something to say. I believe I have perspective. And I think that, you know, it comes down to that point of view, which is, is important for, for doing anything. Cause if you don't have a point of view on something, it's, it's kind of hard to get people to listen to you. And I think, you know, the internet mistakes that for having, um, you know, a very, very loud, very, you know, um, one-sided point of view uh, and that they need to be very severe about it but you can have i think the the best the best stories and the best things are done with such a light subtle hand that you 
you are not even aware that you're feeling something until you get to the end and you realize, wow, I'm, I'm clenching my fists because I was so, you know, I was so engaged or my shoulders are tight because I was so scared or, or whatever it is. And, and, and you don't know unless you, you, you try. It sounds, it sounds trite, but uh, that is the only way that I've learned anything uh, is by trying and, and subjecting myself to myriad types of failure. Mm-hmm. And so if someone's trying to put together their first video that's going to tell a story beyond just like a talking head of them speaking, so I'm thinking multiple clips, showing B-roll, all that kind of stuff. What what is what are some of your suggestions for you know telling that first story? What are the things you should focus on before you even start shooting? Yeah, I mean the the two things I always ask my clients are you know when I'm when I'm putting together a video for them when I'm producing a video, I you know there's two questions I give them like a, a list of six or seven questions, but there's two questions that's always a part of it. And one is you know what don't people know about you that you wish they did, or what don't people know about your brand that you wish they did, mm-hmm. and how do you want them to feel when you watch your video? And I think that's really important is, is what is the goal of your video and how do you want people to feel when you watch it? And that's why when I make a video, music is so important to me because that creates a feel that's so that, – that nothing else can really do, right? It's, it's, almost, it's almost cheating because music makes you feel something faster than probably a visual can. Mm-hmm. And so – but what are you actually trying to say and how do you want your audience to feel? So once you have those two questions, then you can kind of draw – the line between them and saying, all right, what is the arc? What is the story here? What are we, what are we actually communicating? And am I, am I doing that? Because I think a lot of people go into a video and say, oh, I'm just going to make a video and do this and ABC and, and just see how it comes out and not necessarily really achieving whatever goal they had because they didn't know what the goal was. Mm-hmm. Right. And sometimes it's okay not to have a goal. And then you kind of start making, it, you figure out what it is, but, but knowing what you're, you're setting out to do, even if you don't know how to do it, you know, even if you don't know, you say, oh, I'm going to be, you know, a millionaire. All right. Well, you're going to work as hard as you can to get there. But you may not know the specific steps because the thing is, the specific steps will always change. And even if you lay out the specific steps, they are going to evolve. But you have to know, you know, kind of a direction that you want to go in to be able to achieve a feeling or a sense. It's hard to go into something without an objective and get a desired result because that begs, the, you know, it's not possible. Yeah. And I think that's especially impossible doing video because it takes so much work to like do the shooting and do the editing. And anytime I've shot video of something without a plan, and this was like at the beginning, I don't ever do this anymore. If you don't have a plan of what it's going to look like at the end, it's impossible to edit it that way. But when you're writing something, you could always just, Oh, I'm just going to rewrite it, but you can't always just reshoot something, you know? And that's tough. Like sometimes I've, I've gone out with my camera and said, I just want to pick up some, some shots of the city and, and maybe I'll put something together at the end of the day and just kind of seek inspiration. But it, it almost doesn't happen that way for me. I have to at least have, whether it's a line or a feeling or a sensation, like I want to go out in the city today and I want to capture sadness or I want to capture, you know, happiness or I want to capture um, energy, whatever it is. If, if at least I have that goal of what I'm looking to capture, you'll find it. And it, it goes back to that, you know, when you, when you start thinking about something, you find, you know, uh, like when, when you hear a word for the first time and then you all of a sudden you hear three people use that word and you're mm-hmm. like, somebody must've used this word before now, but your, your mind is just attuned to it. Right. And so you start to look for it. And so you can tell the story with those pictures because it's so easy. Like we're, we're, we're so, you know, everything there's a hundred million hours 
of everything everywhere all the time. And it's so hard to get people to pay attention. And, you know, it's only a matter of time before movie theaters have tabs that you can click to another movie while you're watching one in mm-hmm. a movie theater and say, oh, I'm done with you, Russell Crowe. And then all of a sudden you're watching Halle Berry or whatever it might be, um, unless they're in the same film, which good on them. But it, you're lucky in that you're, you're locked into that. But when you're looking at something on your computer, there are a trillion ways to pull the shoot. Like there are so many ways to like escape and get away from it. And so paying attention to, to really creating something that, again, that you value and that you care about and that you actually want to be doing. Cause if you don't want to be doing it, it's so, it's going to come across. Like it's so obvious that somebody half-assed something and I'm so impressed by the, the stories that are, are, are well told and, and they inspire me and, and make me want to be a better creator of things as well. Yeah. And I think audio and video are really, really hard to fake, like nearly impossible to fake. It, it's just not going to work. Like we've, we've jumped the shark is essentially we we've come full circle that listen, there's no, there's no amount of nakedness that surprises anybody. There's no amount of scandal. There's no amount of outrage. Like there's, in, in the movies alone, the world has been destroyed like 35 times in the last 10 years. And it continues to like, there's no unique way, like, unless again, puppies listening to Megadeth come and destroy the earth. There's really very few ways that are unique for the world to be destroyed. So we've kind of seen everything, right? And so I feel like the pendulum is swinging from, all right, the most extreme, the most severe, the biggest, loudest, most intense to what resonates with me and what feels authentic and what is what is really significant for me and those stories I think you're going to see in the future. And this is what I, I plan on and I hope on uh, is, or that I hope is that you're going to find way more movies that are made for smaller budgets that do well than, you know, huge budgets that, that, that blow the roof off. People are looking to connect with things. Uh, I call it the rise of the middle-class celebrity that there are going to be so many more, people that have followings of a hundred thousand people or have a movie that makes $30 million whom you've never heard of because there are theaters around the country that their audience has found and they're requested to that theater. And it's the on, on demand mentality that I want this person and they've given me access and I can provide that to them because they're providing something that's unique to me and it feels authentic. People, the bullshit meter goes off really, really easily. Now you watch, you hear like we get it. And so Nobody wants to waste time and nobody has to waste time with any of that stuff because there's so much great content there that's available for them. And the hard part is just sifting through and finding it. Mm -hmm. And so what would be a piece of advice that you would give an aspiring or current entrepreneur that maybe is, is struggling? Oh man. Um, I would say I look for, um, there was this video game. Uh, I didn't have Super Nintendo when I was younger, but there was a video game called F-Zero. I was F-Zero. a Genesis kid, too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, there was a video game called F-Zero. It might have been for Genesis. I don't know. Um, but it was hovercrafts, right? And there were these hovercrafts. And to go faster, you had to fly over these chevrons, which is like an upside-down V. And whenever you flew over those chevrons, your car would go faster. And I've started looking for those chevrons in my life. And those chevrons are a variety of different things. For me, it's been a networking group. Um, It's been my close friends and it's been uh, artistic uh, kind of endeavors. And those things recharge me and make me feel good and and, and help power me through. Um, Whenever I feel like 
I don't know what to do next. I, I'm out of options and I don't know which way to turn. I know that I have not found all of the possible options. I've not talked to everybody possible yet because if there's only door one, two, and three, and I don't like any of them, there's a fourth door I'm just not aware of. And so finding other ways to expose yourself or to become exposed to either possibilities or people or whatever it might be, it's really easy, I think, as an entrepreneur to get stuck in your head. And I live inside my head all the time, even when, you know, in the public, in the public, when I'm amongst, when I'm amongst the people, when I'm on the red carpet, uh, uh, when, I'm, when I'm out, you know, amongst thousands of people in New York City or millions of people, I'm still overthinking things in my head. But being able to sit with people and connect with people, the resources are out there. Somebody has them. There's a there's an article or there's something, but you need to kind of take yourself out of the place that you're in. And this is what has worked for me. And I have no idea if it'll work for others. But taking your place out of the taking yourself out of the place that you're in and exposing yourself to new influences uh, and new uh, new knowledge and new information can go so far to setting you on a different path or helping you solve a problem or 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 just getting you out of a funk that. Any time that I've, I've spent like three consecutive days in my apartment, I start to kind of feel a little stir crazy and say, all right, I need to go out and, and meet with people, even just take a meeting or just have a coffee with somebody and connect because that'll help drive that. And I think that's something that whenever you're feeling, there's no reason to feel lost and alone today. And that's just like a general advice. Like if you ever feel lost and alone, there's somebody out there, you know, despite how unique and nuanced our human experiences are we're always more similar than we imagine, right? There's mm. always more connector pieces between us and it just means you haven't found it. And the hardest part is to say, stick with it until you find somebody who can help you through it. And I think that on any level can be challenging, but especially, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and there's money involved and it's your future and, you know, dinner on the table or, or people that work for you of saying, all right, I'm going to seek help and I'm going to get some, some outside input to, to help make this work. No, I like that video game analogy. I'm totally going to steal it. Nice. Use it with people because it's like, yes, you can just keep going the way you're going, but it's maybe not even like a shortcut. So you shouldn't be looking for some like hidden thing, but it's usually it's like right there and you Mm -hmm. could take that and it would take you faster if you just think about it. Yeah. And you make the decision to to take like a speed boost or something. Exactly. And that's that's the thing, too, is that it's not uh, I'm not. I'm not interested, you know, I love the idea of hacks and, and, and ways to get better at what you're doing. I'm not interested in, in like game genie. You didn't feel good after you used it, right? Like you got to the end and you had to see how the game ended, but you didn't feel good about yourself. You're like, well, now I want to go back and try and do it. Right. I know yeah. how to, how it works. Like it, it's, it, it's finding ways to, to be more efficient and, and do it in a way that makes you feel good. Cause right. Like anytime that, and you know, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this podcast and listen to the advice I give to myself. But anytime that I'm really frustrated and I'm angry and I'm like, I'm stressed out, people say, how are you doing? I always kind of start and say, listen, if Maslow were alive, he'd punch me in the face. Like the hierarchy of my needs are like way above the top of his trying. Like there's nothing, you know, food shelter. I've got the most wonderful, fortunate. I, I'm so blessed and so lucky in everything that I have. And so when I'm stressed or worried about something, it's because I'm trying for something really big and I'm, I'm in the best position possible. So I always tell myself, you know, I love this shit. Like, I love it. Like, I'm in it. It's, it's tough. It's challenging. But you know what? I asked for it and I would not be happy if I wasn't challenged. 
And, and that's what I'm, I want to do. I want to be in the thick of it because I love the feeling of coming out the other side for better or for worse that, you know, it, it's just, I think it's the greatest misconception of the universe is that you need to save energy to have energy. No, it's, you know, making energy. Nobody gets, nobody can run 26.2 miles after, you know, resting for a thousand days, right? Mm -hmm. Like you, you, the more you work, the more you build up, the, the more you can do. And I'm, you know, people say, oh, how do CEOs or entrepreneurs do so much? I joke about this with my, my kind of producing partner, Andrea, when I never, neither of us get any more done in our lives than when we were putting on a play, because we have so little time that everything gets done so efficiently. But when I have, you know, when I have eight hours to do a task, it takes me eight hours to do a task. Mm -hmm. I've had dishes in my sink since I don't want to tell you when, because I've, you know, been home for the last couple of times to do it. But if I had to get, if my mom was coming to visit, in three hours, this apartment would be immaculate, right? Mm -hmm. Everything would be done so quickly. And so it's, it's figuring out how to utilize the resources available to you and, and making things work um, and just being ceaseless. I think that's the hardest part. Mm -hmm. Well, we've covered so much. We have, we have business bits, a new cereal <laughs> from Richard. We have Megadeth puppies and we have <laughs> old school video game references in there. So, so where can people find you online, Richard? And, uh, what are some of the projects you're working on right now? Sure. So, uh, you know, everything, the, the general link to everything that I do is, is Bemke.com, which is my last name. It's B as in boy, O-E-H-M as in monkey, C-K-E.com. And so everything, you know, lives in some capacity there. Uh, the thing I'm most excited about is, is we're wrapping this web series up in April. We're going to have a wrap party in New York City. Um, and I'm really excited about that. It's been, like I said, a labor of love. It's the first season. It's um, it's a comedy drama about people not making it in New York City in their 20s, uh, and it's called Twenties, like the T's of being in your 20s. Um, so the last episode will go uh, online. It's it's eight episodes long, and then the uh, you know my business, which is Vibrant Motion, which is the production of videos for uh, small to mid-sized brands looking to to tell a creative, beautiful story through video. Um, you can find that through Bemke.com or VibrantMotion.co. Uh, .co, vibrantmotion.co, and uh, you know some of the examples of uh, the work that I'm working on and uh, things that are upcoming are on there as well. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Richard. I, I uh, very much appreciate you having uh, so much to say on all these topics, and I love now that we have so many inside jokes together. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it as well. Thanks, Gail. This has been a lot of fun. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. So that wraps up this session of the Cubicle Renegade podcast. Thanks for sticking around and listening to the whole one here. As always, reviews on iTunes really help this podcast reach more people. So if you could go to pocketchange.com slash iTunes, that'll take you directly to the feed so you can submit your review. Check back next Wednesday for the next episode of the Cubicle Renegade podcast on pocketchange.com. See you then. Thanks for listening to the Pocket Changed Cubicle Renegade podcast at www.pocketchanged.com. To read this episode's show notes or check out other sessions, head over to cubiclerenegade.com.